the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Oh, really? Love is too weak a word. Stay back. I know you. I know you. I love you. I love you. I did as you saw. If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie. Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to The Shape of Water. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 92 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and joining me today on this Memorial Day weekend is Will Matheny. Hello, everybody. How you doing, Will? Uh, I, my body is just completely out of whack. I'm on the East Coast for a wedding right now, so it's like 6.30 in the morning right now, my time, which is even earlier than I'm accustomed to. So, it is my great love for this podcast that brings me up early on this beautiful Sunday morning. Also, it's not beautiful. You guys have rain all over the East Coast. Correct. It is gloomy. It is dark. It is miserable. It's, it's everything that this weekend is not supposed to be. So I should be moving back to the, to the West Coast. That's what this little jaunt has taught me. Important lessons all around. Well, if you want to keep getting up at the crack of dawn for these episodes, then be my guest. God help us all. So I think congratulations are in order for one of the next Best Picture family, right? Yeah, yeah. We just received word that one of our own, Dan Howitt, is expecting twins. Isn't that amazing? That's so exciting. Were we allowed to say that? I don't know. Oh, no. You know what? They tweeted They tweeted it. I think we're good. He tweeted it. Yeah. So congratulations to him and his wife. Uh, Dan, we love you, and we're definitely going to use you as much on the show as possible until you have to take your leave as a dad. We will also use the twins on the show. They'll be our mascots. <laughs> it is Memorial Day weekend. Um, I thought it would be appropriate to ask you, Will, did you plan on watching any kind of war films at all to coincide with the Memorial Day weekend? You know, my girlfriend doesn't really like war films, and seeing as I'm with her on the other coast, it's uh, that does kind of block me down. But let's say that hypothetically I were going to watch some war films, well then I think absolutely my default choice has to be uh, my personal favorite war film, which is Apocalypse Now. And I'm guessing she's never seen it. Uh, that's correct, and she will probably petition us not to watch it, if I had to guess. What do you think would be like a fair compromise? Something that's like, that is a war film that isn't a war film that you think she would watch? Like maybe Good Morning Vietnam or MASH or something like that? MASH is great. I should, I should, that's a good way to get around it. I should definitely try to bring some MASH into the picture. That, you know, it's so funny too. A little bit of trivia on that film. The screenwriter of that film hated what Robert Altman did to his script because Altman had so much improv and took it in different directions. Um, but the WGA only gave him the writing credit. So that the only Oscar the film won was for original screenplay. And apparently when that happened, the writer was just like, God damn it. Wow. Like they awarded this version of the film. Yeah. I'm going to also throw a couple of other ones out there, you know, just for the sake of, you know, giving her options. 
Um, you guys could try Tropic Thunder. I think she has seen that. I, I, I cannot count that as a war okay. film. All right, what about uh, Top Gun? She has seen Top Gun. Okay. Okay, so that's, and uh, I don't know if I want to compare myself at this moment to the beach volleyball montage, to be honest. I think uh, the result may not leave me pleased. If she's into human drama, um, The Messenger is quite Ooh, a good one. I've never seen that. Yeah, I mean, I've always wanted to. Ooh, I know Woody's yeah. supposed to be good. No, him, Ben Foster, uh, Steve Buscemi's got a really good scene in the film, too. I mean, um, that yeah, I, I would recommend that wholeheartedly. That's like a random supporting actor nomination. Like, I'm still kind of surprised it happened. It made sense during the season. But you know what I mean? Like, they're just... There was the precursor love, but it was such a small film that came and went. It's kind of surprising that Woody, like, stood the season. Well, it's less surprising than uh, the three billboards supporting actor mention, in my opinion. I think people just like Woody Harrelson, honestly. He's a weird dude, but I think people just want to reward him when they get the chance. Yeah, who doesn't love Woody Harrelson? I mean, I can't think of anybody. You know his dad claims to have killed JFK, right? That's a fun little bit of trivia. His dad's convicted felon who killed a lot of people and claims JFK was one of them. That's kind of ironic considering all of the movies he's been doing with Rob Reiner lately. Ooh. In the uh, political spectrum. So, but long story short, you know, I, I can say who doesn't love Woody Harrelson? Probably the descendants of John F. Kennedy. Oh, well. <laughs> you know who uh, is a very despised person right now in our industry? Unfortunately, uh, Morgan Freeman. Oh my God, I was shocked. That was probably the biggest news of the week, I would say. Um, eight women came forward, accused Morgan Freeman of sexual harassment. And I would say he was one of those people like up there with you know, Tom Hanks as the kind of person that you would put on that pedestal as being like the epitome of good and decent and is definitely like a hero to many, many people within not even the industry, but in the world in general. Like a lot of people were in disbelief and didn't want to believe it. Um, but it is true. And he has come forward and he he has apologized, saying that it was not his intent to make people uncomfortable. Um, but also at the same time, he also denied it, uh, which I, I mean, the guy's digging himself a hole. And at 80 years old right now and with no real big projects on the horizon, um, I suppose, you know, th this is what it's meant to be. I've, I've heard that SAG is thinking about revoking his Lifetime Achievement Award. Oh, wow. And also, I mean, it, it's a shame, really. It really it really is a shame that somebody of this stature uh, with this much respect within the industry um, – you know, that's all kind of tarnished at this point. Yeah, but one thing that was interesting to me is that when I posted on Twitter, like, oh my God, this is like if Tom Hanks were accused of harassment, I'm so shocked. A lot of people were like, really? Are you? And I was like, yes. And they started showing me all this stuff. For starters, last year at the SAG Awards, um, Morgan Freeman's publicist stopped him from answering a question about the Me Too movement. Everyone's just like, oh, I guess he wants to avoid any kind of controversial statements or anything. But now, in hindsight, it does kind of seem like, oh, they knew that if he said anything, it would be deemed hypocritical and somebody would come out of the woodwork. Secondly, people were like, didn't you know he was dating his like step-granddaughter, who's much younger than him? And they pointed that out. And I actually, it's funny, you know, like Family Guy, um, 
you know, had all those things like, oh my god, I've escaped from Kevin Spacey's basement and stuff, uh, meaning they knew about all these open secrets. Um, there's a Robot Chicken episode that has Morgan Freeman just describing an average day like, I went down to get the mail and then ate six scrambled eggs. Um, and it's just like him describing random stuff that's happening in the day. And then at the end he's like, and I hope that this all distracts from the fact that I'm fucking my step-granddaughter. So what you're saying is that all the answers to all the people who have not yet been outed in Hollywood lies within Family Guy. Family Guy or Robot Chicken, adult swim shows, basically. All right, then we got to do some research on this. Um, it, it, you know what? You know what's the most like baffling thing to me is why has no one come forward yet about Jack, Jack Nicholson? Well, there, there, there's two choices. A, he didn't do anything, or B. He just hasn't been really in the public eye enough lately. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, he, if that Tony Erdman remake had already come out, then I'm sure people would be reminded, oh, Nicholson's very much in the public. But um, a lot of these people, you know, their accusers decide now is the time because these people are out making statements on the movement or these people are in a big successful movie and they're getting a lot of acclaim. Like someone like Dustin Hoffman, who's not you know as prevalent as he once was, well, his accuser came out right after he, you know... The Meyerowitz story. Yeah, the Meyerowitz stories, you know. Um, so, I mean, like, I, I think it has a lot to do with the timing of where they are in the public eye, too. Let's also remember, too, that it's uh, it's not an easy thing uh, to come to come. No, forward. no, that, I mean... It's got to be traumatic for the accuser. It's got to be really, really hard and dangerous, too, because, you know, then you make make it very public. And uh, these are very powerful people you know, that we have to remember. But um, I, I think like this whole idea too, like Pete, because I heard some people say how it's like Morgan Freeman is just doing the creepy old man thing. And it's like, well, you know what? The fact that that has a title and the fact that just because that is a stereotype that that makes it okay well he was like reaching up people's skirts and stuff i think like that's that's not even that goes beyond just like the old man making crude comments like you know that's that's but what i'm getting at here is that it's not okay yeah have, you know and like you said dustin hoffman uh he's over 80 years old uh, morgan freeman 80 years old like I, I you know we can expect to see i'm sure a lot of people within that age range probably uh, come forward. I also had heard uh, somewhere else that even Alan Arkin had to uh, stop Morgan Freeman one time from, you know, making advancements and such. Um, you know, and if you have Alan Arkin, you know, stepping forward and trying to prevent a situation, then it's like, you know, then, then it's a scenario where it's like, well, it's not everybody, hopefully, dear God. Um, I was told by uh, somebody that the best way to like kind of like handle this situation if you like if you like if you still have heroes within Hollywood you still look up to people um the best way to not have those expectations be shattered is just assume that everybody has something yeah that's kind of where I'm at now I mean mo there's some that are more surprising than others but yeah I think it's and maybe it's you know ultimately maybe it's the medicine we needed just knowing that we can't lionize people in general well i'm all for you know moments like this um as a means of helping us to heal um from decades of abuse and grow and move forward into a better future 
Um, if a couple of people have to, you know, get this kind of um, scrutiny in order, you know, for that to happen, then I, I think that's for the greater good. Oh, I, I absolutely agree. Yeah. I, I think we'll be the better for it. You know, like, obviously, whenever it's, it's an actor I like, it's like, that's sad. But at the same time, it's even more sad for the careers they ruined in the process um, and the people who they caused such trauma to. So, you know, it, 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 the situation sucks, but it needs to happen. Absolutely. And you know what? Also, too, another big piece of news this week that was kind of tied directly into this is uh, Harvey Weinstein surrendered himself to authorities on Friday and got accused of uh, of rape and will be serving uh, time in jail, from what I understand at this point. Am I correct? He hasn't been that? officially sentenced. In oh, okay. I had heard that he was. No, I mean, he just got arrested. This will, this will move along. But they're estimating... Okay, so he's been accused of rape and they're going to take it to court, is what you're telling me. Yes, he's out on like a million dollar bail right now. Yeah. So uh, the trial has not begun. It'll be a very showy trial. And I have to imagine that the reason he willingly turned himself in, knowing what's going to happen, is that, because I, as I understand it, he's being charged with one specific case. And my guess is the DA was like, hey man, we have one person with hard enough evidence to get you on right now. You can go ahead, deal with that. You'll do your time. Chances are you'll be out of jail within five years and then go on with your life. Um, you'll be on the registry and you won't work in the film industry. But you'll be a free man, you'll, you'll serve time, justice will be meted. But if you don't take this right now, if you don't willingly turn yourself in, we will go back to the drawing board, we will find evidence on multiple cases, we will get you on multiple counts of rape, we will come after you with, uh, for racketeering as well, because you employed former Mossad agents to bully and blackmail women, um, we will get you on multiple charges and you will spend the rest of your life in prison. That is my guess as to what happened and my guess as to why Weinstein so willingly stepped forward this time. Um, I, I suspect that's the reason we didn't see any action sooner. They're making sure they could get something that uh, was concrete enough to ensure that he did jail time, but um, wasn't the full extent of his crimes because this is something that could go ahead and prove right now and get some form of justice done. Uh, we have a lot of trailers this week to discuss. Um, the first no one. No responses to that. Well, no. I mean, you've said everything that needs to be said, and I have a tie-in here. Um, there was a film that okay. I saw at Sundance called uh, Damsel, which uh, is starring uh, Mia. Oh my God, what is Wasikowska. her last name? Wasikowska. Wasikowska. Are, are, are you even saying that correctly? I think so. I've heard it in a trailer. Mia Wasikowska. Okay, it's starring Mia Wasikowska. And also starring Robert Pattinson. It's directed by Bazellner Brothers. And this is a movie that I can tell you right now, Will, because I saw this film. Um, the marketing is presenting it as one thing. And the movie is something else entirely. And for those that have also seen it, I think you know what I'm referring to. For those that haven't seen it, uh, definitely keep an eye on this one for sure. But let's take a look at the trailer and let's hear your thoughts on it. My name is Samuel Alabaster. Do you know who I am? <laughs> What's that? It's a miniature horse. Hey, butterscotch. It's very rare, possibly even unique. Regular horses don't have names. They're just, uh, you know, regular. 
What's your fiance's name? Penelope. Wow, you're like a man. She's the most precious thing in the whole world. This is a big commitment. It's lifelong. Lifelong commitment. And there's no turning back now. Oh no, it's never too late to turn back. Here's the plan. I'm bending knee, I'll ask her to be my wife. And then you, you do your, uh, your ceremony. Marriage is a big jump. It's hard. And things don't always go the way you want them to. Guess that's what it boils down to. Are you really a preacher? Not in the conventional sense, but my heart's in the right place. You gave me mixed signals. I gave you no signals! If you're gonna go on questioning the validity of my feelings, then you can go to hell. You're a regular black widow, ain't you? Things are gonna be lousy in new and fascinating ways. You always said the miniature horse was the cutest, most beautiful critters you've ever seen. I never said that. All we got is whiskey. Okay, so Will, uh, biggest biggest thing when you watch this, I'm just curious, what's your big takeaway when you watch the Damsel trailer? I cannot tell you what the trailer is about. It's some kind of involvement between Robert Pattinson, who's a bizarre, musical, goofy cowboy with a little pony who's trying to rescue the love of his life, who's angry and doesn't quite love him as much as he seems to think she does. Uh, you're you're on the right track so far. What I what I can tell you is that the marketing is definitely going to do everything they can to show that this is the Robert Pattinson's show. This is the Mia. What I'm gonna try it again. Wasikowska show. Oh really? Yes. Oh, she's in like one scene in the trailer. Oh, she's in a lot more. Uh, the trailers may be showing one thing, but the movie, like I said, is something entirely different. And um, I think it's really... Is the tone captured there pretty accurate? Uh, I mean, let's just... So for me, the film has an extremely slow pace um, that really hurt the entire film for me personally. Um, there are some really funny moments of comedy, and it's also a very... Uh, smart movie and how it twists the genre conventions of the western um and really is uh one of those kinds of films that i i, I thought at least walking out of it was a very empowering uh film for the me too movement so other people might have different opinions on that i'm not exactly sure i, I haven't really gotten a chance to talk to many people about this who saw this at sundance um but i have talked to some people who watched the trailer um afterwards and just trying to get their reactions to it because i knew that the marketing for this was going to be deceptive before i even saw the trailer and sure enough i can confirm it is yeah i mean like it looks decent i don't quite know what it's about but it looks entertaining um it's interesting we have two kind of like goofy western trailers come out in the same week. I think I remember the reviews were in line with what you said, basically just saying that, okay, it's good, not great, and, you know, it's, 
it's got strong performance. I think it's an 80 on Rotten Tomatoes with most of the reviews saying that it's shy of greatness, but it's worth seeing. So far, yeah. Let's move over to the next trailer that we're discussing this week. We have four trailers in total, and this one is directly tied um, a bit into Damsel because, like you said earlier, it's another Western film whose trailer released uh, within the same week. This one definitely took me by surprise because, to tell you the truth, I had no idea that this film was even coming out. So when I saw the trailer for it, I was very taken aback. It is directed by Jacques Audedard. I hope I'm saying that one correctly once again. I'm very bad at pronouncing names. Um, who directed uh, a lot of great movies. A Prophet, uh, Deep End, the, heart that my, uh, the Beat That My Heart Skipped. And this film is starring John C. Riley, Joaquin Phoenix, Jake Gyllenhaal, Riz Ahmed. Got a great cast here. Um, it's called The Sisters Brothers. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one. Hey! This is The Sisters Brothers! You don't stand a chance! Charlie? Huh? We've had a good long run. We need to get out. We can open the store together. A store? This is nonsense. You walk in the front door and finish the job. You're not gonna like what comes next. Open your safe. No, never. We're the sisters, brothers. S I S T E R S. Like sisters. We're looking for a man named Warm. We stole something from our employer. We have enough money to stop for good. Stop what? Killing people. <laughs> yeah, right. Sometimes I feel I've got to run away. Do you realize that our father was stark raving mad and we got his foul blood? Our father drank, Charlie. Too shipping. Gentlemen, I have found him. I will try to hold him until your arrival. Make haste. What does this worm have that's so interesting? What's the great challenge that all prospectors face? How do I get the gold just beneath my feet? I told you I'm a chemist. Worm has a formula. You pour it in the river, it lights up all the gold. Have you ever tested it? You think it's them? Yes. We're going to have to fight. Is your gun loaded? Eventually, you're going to get us killed. You're forgetting something. We are the sisters, brothers. We're good at what we do. Charlie, get away! Get away! Get away! Get away! Are you upset? I'm leaving. What's wrong with you? You hit me in public, Charlie. So I slap you. You slap me back. Raven, so bad. Hit me. Hit me. Jesus Christ! What is your goddamn problem? All right, well, so what you think? Again, like just bizarre tone. I mean, this seems like a really campy comedy. I assume there's gonna be more to it because I was trying to look the quote up because I remember about a month back, Joaquin Phoenix said that he thought John C. Riley's performance in this film was going to be deemed one of the great performances of this century. Um, and he didn't say it with a hint of irony. I'm trying to find the quote right now. I think it was during an interview that he gave during uh, the You Were Never Really Here press tour. 
Probably, yeah. But it's... Regardless, it's... I would assume there's more to it than the trailer indicates. Um, you know, I, I've been following this project on and off for a couple of years because I got the book on my Kindle ages ago and then never read it. But, I, you know, it's been one of those where I'm like, ooh, I wanted to read this and just never got around to it. So I've been really intrigued to see how it's going to translate to a film. And I figured I might as well just go ahead and see the movie instead of ever reading it, unless the movie sucks. But, yeah, I mean, it's I, I know it's definitely kind of swinging for the fences as far as mastering tone. And the book, I think, is very much a comedic drama as well. But Color Me Intrigued, I would also say it just looks bizarre. I I, I, I want to see it. I don't entirely know what... I mean, it, it seems pretty clear what it's about, but I don't know what the meat is going on there. I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal's in the film, and we see him for like one second in the trailer. So, and he's third build. So, I mean, obviously there's a lot we're not seeing. I think my favorite aspect of the trailer itself, though, was the opening with the uh, darkened screen, the dialogue, and then that the gunfire awesome. would illuminate the titles. I've never seen that before. That was so. I thought there were. I thought it was going to be a teaser for a second. I thought the entire trailer was going to be like that. No, that was sick. I really liked that. Yeah, no, that was fantastic. And like you were saying, it's very interesting to see Jake Gyllenhaal in a uh, supporting role in this film. You know, he's. He's been supporting now for the last couple of years, um, not really billed so much as the lead, uh, like in Life, Okja, and, uh, you know, there was a lot of news uh, this week about him taking another supporting role in the untitled uh, Spider-Man Homecoming sequel, where he's rumored to be playing uh, Quentin Beck uh, Mysterio, so, you know, once again, Jake Gyllenhaal taking on a lot of these supporting performances, However, there's another supporting performance, which Jake Gyllenhaal uh, was also a part of that uh, premiered at Sundance this year. Uh, Paul Dano's directorial uh, debut film starring uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Carrie Mulligan. It's called Wildlife. And this is the third trailer that we are reviewing here on this episode. So uh, with that said, Sisters Brothers looks great. Um, it looks like a lot of fun. I really, really hope that the tone uh, can remain steady throughout. And uh, you're right, Will. Whatever they're hiding in this uh, trailer, um, I'm intrigued by it. And the cast definitely uh, has a lot to do with that. So I'm very much looking forward to it. But let's also take a look at Wildlife, which is coming out uh, this fall. And like I was saying before, directed by Paul Dano, co-written along with Zoe Kazan. Mom, is dad, is dad okay? Of course he is. You lied to me. His pride got hurt. That happens sometimes. I'm hurt. He's been out of work before, and he always finds his way. Down deep inside of me. You said your love was true. Even though you hurt me like nobody else could ever do. If you've got a better plan for me, tell me. I would never. I'll try it. Maybe it'll be better than this. Okay, well, third trailer of the episode. What'd you think of Wildlife? I want to see that so badly. 
Like, I, it is definitely probably in my top five most anticipated for the rest of the year. Primarily because that performance of uh, is of Carey Mulligan was supposed to be so, so good. Uh, it is. I can attest to that. <laughs> she is phenomenal. Does the, does the trailer do the film justice in your opinion? Uh, I think so. I think that the trailer does a really great job of highlighting how great Carrie Mulligan is in it. Oh my god. Yeah, that, that and Hereditary, the two films out of Sundance... That I was just like, God damn it, I can't believe I didn't get to see them, that I'm just dying to. So, no, I mean, like, that's a film we know that it's going to be good because it has already been widely seen and widely covered. So there's not much I can contribute on that front. But I can say I want to see it so badly. You know, I, I will also say, too, Jake Gyllenhaal is 100% supporting in this. It is Carrie Mulligan's movie. And I'm very, very happy that the trailers uh, have highlighted her uh the most prominently in this especially with uh some of the quotes they used uh throughout so make no mistake about it uh carrie mulligan is coming for that second oscar nomination here and i i definitely think it's going to play out for her could she win that's my question no she's not going to win i i would be shocked if she won i mean of the performances i have seen like you said hereditary and wildlife those are the two tony collette and carrie mulligan that i would say are very likely best actress nominees for this year, and I, I would pick Tony Collette in a heartbeat over Carrie Mulligan. I love Carrie Mulligan, but Tony Collette is on another level in Hereditary. I hope I'm not hyping it up too much for you, by the way. No, uh, you probably are. You did it with three billboards, you did it with Arrival, and then I was disappointed and bitter for the rest of the season. So, um, but I am very excited. Okay, well, just well, here's a word of advice. Just don't don't listen to me anymore when it comes to hype. Just just assume everything I say is great sucks. I think I said uh, <laughs> okay every so just decide Matt has terrible taste and anything you like. I will do that, and then it explains three billboards. <gasps> uh, three billboards is great. Okay, shut up. Hi everyone, this is Tim Costa. I'm Hermano da Silva, and this is Walter Vinci. And together we are the First Time Watchers podcast. Each week we choose a movie to review that none of us has seen. Watch it together. And then discuss. These movies could be new. Or old. Or on our list of shame. You can find us on iTunes by searching for the First Time Watchers podcast. As well as on Stitcher. And we love interacting with our listeners. So if you have any suggestions, send us a tweet. An email. Or post to our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. That's right. I mean, it's all about interaction. And talk about what we love. Movies. And you don't have to worry about us going on and on about this and that and the other. And, oh, no, look, no, let's no, talk stop, about stop, this minutia Shut up, shut here. up, shut up, shut and up. And I wonder who the cat can God damn it, shut up. Moving on. Uh, we want to talk about the polls for this week. Uh, so we have a couple of different uh, polls that I just want to go over, um, different categories here. Let's start off with uh, last week's poll, which tied directly into Ron Howard's film Solo, A Star Wars Story. Um, Will, did you get a chance to see Solo yet? Yeah, it's fine. It, it, it is perfectly adequate. Um, it, it, it feels a lot like the opening scene of Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade, where it's just like a lot of wink-wink, nudge-nudge mm-hmm. moments. Um, it's, you know, like, I, think, I think the magic of Star Wars is officially dead for me. Um, but it's not to say that this on its own is not a decent film. Oh, that's fair. I, I definitely think this is pure fan service, and I think it's very safe. Um, and I think that's exactly why Ron Howard was brought in to begin with after taking over for Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Yeah, he's the definition of a safe director. 
Yeah, exactly. And I mean, his filmography is a great demonstration of that. When you look at all the films that Ron Howard has done throughout his career, you know, it's very clear that he is a studio for hire director. Um, who's brought in when there's a project and the studio wants somebody that's really reliable, they bring in Ron Howard, you know. So last week's poll was asking everyone, which is their favorite Ron Howard film? And we had a couple of choices here. We had Apollo 13, Backdraft, The Beatles, Eight Days a Week, A Beautiful Mind, Cinderella Man, Cocoon, The Da Vinci Code, Frost Nixon, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, In the Heart of the Sea, Night Shift, Parenthood, Ransom, Rush, Splash, Willow, and there also was a write-in option if your favorite was not listed. Will, with 28.33% of the entire poll, which film do you think ran away with the most votes? Apollo 13. Uh, you are 100% correct. It was Apollo 13. Yeah, that is that is like Ron Howard when he does seem to kind of go beyond the I'm a competent studio director for hire. That is a genuinely good film. It is also a very well-directed film. And it is such a shame for me that he ended up not even getting nominated after he swept the season in that category. Because frankly, I think he would have won an Oscar for that if he had been nominated. I mean, he won the DGA, and then they wouldn't have felt obligated to give him a makeup Oscar in 2001 over one of the best director lineups of all time. Peter Jackson, Robert Altman, David Lynch, and Ridley Scott. So all would have been right in the world if they just awarded that. I do want to know how many people voted for Rush, because that's a great film and deserves more love and attention. Rush came in second place with 11 votes yes. behind Apollo 13's 34. You have done well. But, Will, there's a little caveat with that. Also in second place, tied with Rush, was A Beautiful Mind. God damn it. You know, that that is... I, I, I will say, I think that is a film that is not at all a bad film. I think had it not won Best Picture, people would actually look back at it and be like, oh, you know, that's that's a pretty good Russell Crowe movie. little historically loosey-goosey. I think they just attribute it to, like, pure Oscar bait, and it, like, cheapens it for a lot of people. I think that's why a lot of people have not taken kindly to that film over time. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I think it was made to win Oscars, and it performed accordingly. But I think it is a solid film on its own, and it's, you know, it's not like Crash, where it's just like, honestly, that's just a bad film. I mean, like, I think it's, I think it's reasonably well-written, it's well-acted, Ron Howard brings in some decent visual flares. James Horner's score in it is incredible. Go listen to that score right now. It's really good. Kaleidoscope of the mind or whatever it is. I think it is. So yeah, there's a lot to be said for I don't hate that that came in third. The only thing I strongly dislike about that film is the fact that it won Best Picture. Well, like I said, it didn't come in third. It came in second place, tied with Rush. The film that came in third was actually Frost Nixon. Again, that's a pretty solid one. You know, like, I don't begrudge that. It's just like the quintessential Ron Howard film. It's inoffensive. It's, you know, it's it's like, it's like a good steaming bowl of oatmeal. You know, you should eat it because it's good for you. And he's put a little bit of brown sugar in there to make it extra tasty, but not quite enough to make it like those awesome dino oatmeal that you ate when you are a kid. You know, you don't... You're not, you're not craving another bowl. And then rounding out the poll in fourth place, we had another tie. Um, Cinderella Man is tied with How the Grinch Stole Christmas. No. And then, uh, yes, yes, that is true. 
And then in fifth place, rounding out uh, the entire poll here, Parenthood in fifth place. Well, I forgot that existed. You know, I actually, I don't dislike the Grinch remake, and I kind of think it deserves more love than some people give it. Like, I have, admittedly, most of these watches were when I was a kid, but I've probably seen that movie 20 times. Um, and I, you know, like, I do, I think the makeup's excellent, I like the production design, and as hammy as he is, I enjoy Jim Carrey. You know, it's, it's got a pretty solid ensemble. I don't think it's a bad film. I think people just didn't like that they took an innocent children's story and added, like, fart jokes, but it's undeniably endearing. Are you a fan? Yeah, no, I definitely am a fan. It's a film of my childhood and one that I very much enjoy, as campy as it is, and I think Jim Carrey is incredible in the lead role. And what about Cinderella Man? Like, that's still weird to me that it didn't perform better at the Oscars. If you look at the precursors, it did really well. I mean... Was that, was that after Russell Crowe threw a phone? Is that why? Yeah, probably. I mean, Russell Crowe threw the phone in 2001. Uh, so for Cinderella Man, I mean, that was probably, you know, residual, like after the fact. And it's part of the reason why no, no, he, he hasn't been nominated ever since then. Um, I think he threw the phone in 2004 or 2005. No, no, no. He threw it in 2001 because it's what cost him the Oscar. No, that was when oh, he no, choked no. the guy. Oh, no, no, no. I think I'm thinking of the, at the BAFTAs when he yelled at when, the... When he choked the BAFTA guy for cutting him off, he threw him against the wall. Yeah, Russell Crowe threw a phone um, in 2005. Yeah, so, no, like, you're right. Right around when that film came out. I think that... Yeah, it's... It, it's kind of funny. We aren't hearing anything about Russell Crowe these days. I guess his, his violence has been directed mainly towards men because that's someone who, uh, on more than one occasion, has ruined his Oscar hopes by just not being able to keep his fists to the side. Well, if he ever wins another Oscar, maybe he can quote Sean Penn uh, at the podium and say, I do know how hard it is uh, to make you people appreciate me. God damn it, Sean Penn. Ugh. <laughs> I'm surprised he's still around after all this. I don't think he is anymore. I think Sean Penn's done. Um, I think he's absolutely oh, you done. Think so? He didn't really. I mean, everybody just kind of knew about all of his stuff, um, and he had that. He just released a book. You think he's done though? Yeah, I think he's absolutely done. Um, I, I don't think he cares anymore. I think he's just moved on to another chapter of his life. Interesting. All right. So then, turning over now to this week's poll, uh, in anticipation for the release of Adrift. Starring Shailene Woodley and Sam Kaplan, uh, we have what is your favorite Dangers at Sea movie? Okay, so this is a poll here that is going to list anything where there's been peril at sea. We have a couple of different options. We have Abandoned Ship, All is Lost, Captain Phillips, Castaway, The Deep, In the Heart of the Sea, another Ron Howard film, Lifeboat. Life of Pi, Open Water, The Perfect Storm, The Poseidon Adventure, The Reef, The Shallows, Titanic, and Unbroken. Yeah, so there's actually a surprisingly large number of peril at sea films that are really, really good. I guess that's kind of a compelling concept. Also weird how many of those I'm stranded in the vacuum of blank. That came out in 2013 because we both Captain Phillips, All is Lost, and then kind of Gravity. Gravity's in space. <laughs> oh, I, I, I know, but it, it, like the, I said the vacuum of blank. Okay, fair. And technically, the, the ending of Gravity is in the ocean. Spoilers. But um, I think this comes down between, to me, and probably 
to our fans, Life of Pi and Captain Phillips. You don't think Titanic is going to get enough votes? Oh, shit. Yeah, okay. Uh, Titanic will probably win this. Titanic actually is in third for me personally. But you're right, Titanic will win because it's, well, Titanic. I think Life of Pi between those two. But there's, there's some really good films on that list. I think this is going to be a surprisingly close one. I think Castaway also could stand a chance to get some votes, too. Yeah, oh yeah, people love Castaway. Did you include Contiki? Uh, no, I did not. Okay, that's, that could that, be a That would have to be a write-in option. I know some people really like it. Yeah, there's, and I honestly think All Is Lost really has its fans. I know Brad Brevett over at, uh, who's now in charge of Box Office Mojo, was obsessed with that film in 2013, so it'll have its fans, too. Random question, do you think Redford deserved to be nominated for that? Yes. Because, uh, oh, you do? Yes, I do. That's such a good year for Best Actor, though, because I like Redford. It's a very physical performance. It's obviously very internal, but even more so than Casey Affleck, the internal nature of it made me feel like he didn't get to show much. He did his own stunts. That's impressive, and I think it's why it got the SAG Ensemble stunt nomination. Um, but from a performance standpoint, I didn't... F- I feel like it was an Oscar nomination worthy performance and frankly I was surprised all season long that people thought like if it were anyone other than Robert Redford I don't think that performance would have been talked about at all all right so we're also going to announce the winners for two more polls um we are going to have new polls announced for next week to replace them but this is all for the month of June. For the month of May, we reviewed the original Deadpool for our throwback review. And we also reviewed One Flew Over to Cuckoo's Nest, which will be going up sometime this week. So either you will have listened to it by the time you're listening to this, or it'll be arriving very, very shortly. Uh, those are Patreon-only podcasts, which we do release a preview for everyone to listen to, but in order to get the full episode, you have to subscribe to our Patreon page for a minimum $1 a month to listen to those episodes. But for this, for these polls here, uh, we have which film should we review for the podcast in June of 2018? The poll was um, centered around the film Hereditary, which is releasing in June. And we chose films that are horror movies uh, that were directorial debuts. The choices were The Babadook, The Evil Dead, Night of the Living Dead, The the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and The Witch. Will, which of those five films do you think won the poll? I think Night of the Living Dead won. Each film got quite a substantial amount of votes. In fifth place, I'm going to... Work our way up. With 14 votes, The Evil Dead. In fourth place, with 24 votes, Night of the Living Dead. Oops. In third place, with 25 votes, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. In second place, with 35 votes, The Babadook. And in first place, and the winner of the poll for our next throwback review is Robert Eggers' film *The Witch*, which won forty-nine points. I think I've, I voted for *The Witch* too, so I'm down with that. Well, did you vote for it because of the discussion and how thematically complex of a film it is? Yes, because that's a film I remember. The uh, the director came out at Sundance is like. I want us all to see this A as a coming of age film, and I want you to see the ending as a happy one. He's like, this, this is a film about sexual liberation. I was like, wow, okay. This is, uh, there, there, there's a lot going on here. 
No, I think there's so much conversation to be had with The Witch. I'm, I'm actually very excited for that choice. That remains, I believe, my second favorite film of 2016. Oh, so we got to have you on for that one then. Yeah, I, I adore that film. Okay. And then, uh, like I was saying before, for the last Best Picture, where um, the poll choices are not necessarily centered around a specific film coming out that month, we just basically take every film nominated or one Best Picture, throw them in a randomizer, choose 10 choices, put them up to a vote for you all to choose from. Like uh, I was saying earlier, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest won the first poll that we put up for that. We now have the winners, winner, rather, of the second poll. So the choices were Babel, Aaron Brockovich, Juno, Lawrence of Arabia, Moulin Rouge, My Left Foot, Nebraska, One Foot in Heaven, The Sound of Music, and Three Smart Girls. Will, what do you think won this poll? I kind of think The Sound of Music did. What, you think Michael Schwartz just got all of his friends together and said, vote, vote, vote? <laughs> yeah, kind of, but it's also particularly iconic. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair enough. Was it not The Sound of Music? I will tell you what the top three are. The top three... In alphabetical order, and you tell me what order you think they came in for the win. Juno, Lawrence of Arabia, and Moulin Rouge. Oh, I didn't hear when you said Lawrence of Arabia. I think Lawrence of Arabia won 100%. That film was iconic. I think it was probably Lawrence of Arabia in first, Juno in second, and Moulin Rouge in third. Ah, well, you're pretty, pretty good at this. Lawrence of Arabia did win the poll with 63 votes. Juno came in second with 50, and Moulin Rouge in third with 48. I can get on board with that. I love me some Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence of Arabia is going to be the film that we're going to review in June. (laughs) Uh, 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 An epic, long film that I really, really hope I can convince the rest of the staff to watch. (laughs) Well, I hope they've already seen it. I've seen it twice. Uh, Yeah, that's how many times I've seen it too, actually. I saw it once on DVD, and I saw it once when I rebought it on Blu-ray. Dude, the music in this is so good. Oh, it's iconic. Absolutely. So, thank you for everyone who voted on the polls. Uh, we will have new polls to replace those, and we will announce those all next week. Hello, everyone. This is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week, we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday... You can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father, after all. (laughs) Yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, You can listen to the In Session Film podcast on... iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one? Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not how this works, sir. Hey, you you, you go cry at Midnight Special again, okay? okay. That's what you're good for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I I don't don't buy that. That's just how it works. (laughs) Okay, so now why don't we take a little bit of a break here for a moment. Uh, Let's answer some fan questions, but let's go off the beaten path for a minute here. Uh, We have a question here from Mitsubishi Macchiotto on Twitter. I believe that is, uh, I believe it's Faker Brent Leone. Um, I think he just changed his uh, name recently. Uh, the question he's asking is, what genre or movement of movies do you see topping the box office in 20 years' time? Mm. Do we think Disney Marvel will still be a thing? 
God, it is hard to even envision what 20 years from now will look like. Um, because 20 years ago, superhero films were far from consistently successful. Um, no, I think they'll eventually go the way of the Western. In 20 years, yeah. The Western? Which is to say that they make tons of them, and they dominate the box office, and eventually people get tired of them. But you think the Western will truly make a comeback to reclaim the box office throne? No, I said I think superhero films will go the way of the Western. Oh, well, isn't that what Logan pretty much symbolized for everybody? <laughs> I'm serious. That's pretty much what Logan really is. It's about the dying genre of the superhero, uh, you know, film, essentially. Jesus. That's that's interesting. I didn't even think about that, that tie but yeah. I think superhero films will go a similar direction. I think our society is going to get more and more woke, and I think that... The most popular films in 20 years will be ones that are all about progressive social issues. That would be my guess. I think that's where cinema is going. And I think that is what will determine their popularity ultimately. And I'm of the belief that Disney is going to continue to monopolize the industry and dominate it for a long time. To the point where um, all of the other movie studios will be pretty much on streaming platforms and Disney will rule the theatrical experience. Well, yeah, but I, I'm not just talking about theatrical movies. I'm just talking about movies as a whole. You know, like, I, I still think they'll make films. They'll just go straight to streaming. I mean, like, I, I think Spielberg's prediction is correct that the theatrical experience will be, you know, like, people go a couple times a year and they dress up like they're going to the opera. Um, and there's far fewer films in theaters. I think that's true. But you asked about what will movies... What movies will be popular, and I think that's... Well, the question was also, what movies do you see topping the box office? Yeah, but I think we'll have to readjust how we even determine box office. I mean, yeah, like, like I how we gauge success, essentially. I mean, and, and also, honestly, streaming is not always going to be, I guarantee you, eventually it will not be as kind of all-you-can-eat as it is now. Well, because the problem with streaming, I feel like, is that there's too many options. And when there's too many options, you don't know what to pick. And then you just choose. Then you just end up not choosing anything. It's the bane of my girlfriend and my existence. Absolutely. All right. The second question that we received here for this week. This one came from Andrew Purr. Ooh, I like this question. Uh, he asks: In early episodes, you talked about category fraud, but haven't really talked about it during the past season. So we're talking about last year's Oscars now. Do you think there are any major wins in recent years that did result from category fraud? So. Uh, he says recent years doesn't have to be exclusive to last year. So we're looking at category fraud where it directly um, had an impact on an Oscar win. I think I think the most obvious one is Alicia Vikander in the Danish Oh, 100%. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's the one that jumps out immediately. Yeah. Well, and I think we did talk about category fraud last year as well. It's just that studios seem to learn. There were a few ones that didn't end up getting nominated, but it's worth noting that Universal ran Anya Taylor-Joy for supporting for Split. It's not like she had a chance, but that's still pretty crazy to me, like that she's unequivocally the lead there. But can you think of any other uh, wins, though, in recent Yeah, years? as far as wins, um, yeah, you go back to... Like Viola Davis, lead or supporting? Yeah, I actually, I actually genuinely think that she was supporting. I mean, I think it was a strong supporting role, but it could absolutely be argued. I don't think it was an unequivocal win, 
or unequivocal lead role, like it was with Alicia Vikander. Um, I think Jennifer Lawrence is honestly on the cusp. I'm fine with her being lead, but I think she could have been argued supporting. I still, to this day, say that she's supporting. Still. I, I mean, like, you could tell me any day of the week that you think that's a lead performance, but it's in service to Bradley Cooper's storyline. 2012 is no longer, like, the last couple of years. That's weird to me. Like, I still think of that as, like, a recent Oscar season. That's going to be six uh, years I, I think I think of it, like, in terms of from 2010 on, you know, if someone says to me the last couple of years, you know? Do you think Christoph Waltz and Glorious ba- and um, Django Unchained? Yeah, that's a, that that's supporting. That's clear supporting. Yeah, that's not a lead performance. People say it's a lead performance because of the amount of screen time. Um, but Jamie Foxx is the lead of that movie, not Christoph Waltz. Christoph Waltz's character directly impacts the main storyline, which is Jamie Foxx's. And then he disappears for a major chunk of the movie towards the end. You know, And yet we still continue to follow Jamie Foxx. I mean, you want to argue that he's co-lead? Um, I, I don't buy it. I'm trying to think of any other ones that really fit that definition. Honestly, as far as wins, we're, we're a long way removed from the really egregious days of category fraud. Alicia Vikander aside, I think they've been pretty good at self-correcting, even in something like The Reader forcing uh, Winslet into lead. So it's as far as... There's plenty of egregious nominations, but as far as wins, you know, I think we're doing pretty well on that front, to be honest. All right, and then the final question that we have here is from Josh Blumenkrantz on Twitter. Uh, he asks us, which movie would you like to see get a sequel if given the choice? Oh, well, that's a very wide open field. Jeez. Sequel. Um, I don't know about you, Will. I'm still waiting for District 10. Yeah, you know, and almost to the point now where I want someone who's not Neil Blomkamp to direct it because he's just disappointed me time and time again. Yeah. But District 10, yeah, that I have wondered so many times what was going to happen next, if the aliens were going to come back and just level all of the world, basically. Presumably they would help Vikas. Yeah, actually, that is the best answer to that question we could possibly get I would kill to see a District 10 but if we have to have another one I haven't seen this movie in years but as a kid I always wanted to see the sequel to the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai are you serious? yeah what the hell is that? what? you've never heard of that? no it's a cult film man it's like a cult comedy it's, uh, okay, uh, next best picture listeners, resp- tweet back to this if you have heard of the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. Matt, you gotta get your cult film cap on. Alright, I'm no. looking up, it's, yeah, it's a classic! I've never heard of this, I don't know why. It's got, like, uh, John Lithgow, Christopher Lloyd, Jeff Goldblum, Peter Weller, Ellen Barkin, like, a good cast. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's like a comedic alien sci-fi comedy with great music. I haven't seen it since I was little, but I remember my uncle and dad and I used to watch it and they promised a sequel at the end of it that never came. Oh, Jordan Cronenweth shot it. I mean, like, it's... You know, it's... There sounds like there's something there. Yeah. Uh, So, I think it's loosely meant to be based on Doc Savage, which The Rock is making a film of, apparently. But no, go check it out. It's it's so stupid. And tell me if it's not aged at all well, but I feel like it's one of those like Big Trouble in Little China where there's something to love there. Okay. 
Well, that sounds very interesting. I, I don't think I could say anything else that would top that at this point. <laughs> All righty. Well, thank you for the questions, everybody. We really, really appreciate that. And also, too, now our fourth trailer, Will. Are you ready for it? It is uh, John Favreau's The Jungle Book. Uh, no, wait, I'm sorry. It's actually um, Andy Serkis's Jungle Book movie retitled as Mowgli, which they're trying to pass off as not your typical Disney Jungle Book movie. Uh, let's let's t- take a look at this trailer. Let's let's talk about it. Let's give our thoughts. I only heard stories about the jungle. I lived in a king's palace in a cage just like this. I bit and I scratched and I spent my entire life fighting. Until one day, I just stopped. And I gained their trust. Gained their trust, little brother. jungle is no longer safe for you. You must stay in the village. It will be all right, little brother. When I found you, all those seasons ago, I thought I could teach you how to belong. But I was wrong, Mowgli. jungle has never seen before okay so they're they're not hiding the fact that this is a darker more serious take on the jungle book story i initially thought this looked really good but i'm very 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 uncertain about how audiences are going to respond to it i can tell you how they're going to respond it's going to be a flop I mean, we just got a Jungle Book movie. Also, in like, th- at the end of the day, the biggest appeal that story has always had has been to kids. So if you're marketing it as basically the darkest telling of the Jungle Book yet, you're basically telling parents, don't bring your kids to this. Also, I do think that is such a hilarious line. The darkest telling of the Jungle Book yet. Seeing as it's like, oh, so it's darker than a... G-rated Disney animated cartoon and a live-action remake of that cartoon from the director of Elf. Oh, like wait, a, uh, wait a minute, though. What about the Stephen Sommers 1994 live-action? Which is live also action? pretty child-friendly. I mean, like, there's... Wait, know, really? Because like, I, if I recall, 
Shere Khan and um, oh god, what the heck is the name of the giant snake in, in that movie? Like they they pretty much maul uh, human beings. Like and Shere Khan was genuinely frightening in that live action version. Hmm. You know which one I'm talking about, right? With Jason Scott. Yeah, I know. I, yeah, I haven't seen it since I was a kid. But oh, yeah, you, no, got, you should go back and rewatch it. Sam Neill, John Cleese, Lena Headey from Game cast. of Thrones, Jason oh, Fleming. Yeah, it's a good cast. I know. I know. It's in, it's insane. Regardless, I, I I cannot fathom why Warner Brothers thought they would come out on top doing this. Um, it also, honestly, this does seem more like what I would have expected to be Circus's directorial debut. I still think it's weird that. He's like, yeah, the first movie I'm going to try to make is going to be, uh, Breathe. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know th- this seems right up his wheelhouse. And the bigger question is, okay, Andy Serkis had the clout to make a $150 million CGI and motion capture heavy movie. Why did he choose to remake The Jungle Book instead of taking some other interesting property? I, I could see it being an interesting property. I think the problem is that the other one was, you know, in in production and coming out, and they knowingly Th- that's the thing. still greenlit this. No, that's what I don't get. Like, but I can understand why Andy Serkis would want to tell it. I just don't know why the studio allowed that, it. No, that's, I guess that's what I mean. I get why Serkis would be interested in it, but why aren't they like, hey, Andy, this is going to be a bomb. How about you go direct blank? That is also heavy motion capture. Because, yeah, I mean, like, dark or not, we just got it a year and a half ago. Regardless of which, though, what do you think of the visuals itself, at least? Well, I don't even think they're as good as the John Favreau visuals. They're, they're decent, but there's definitely some shots. I was like, I'm sure it's unfinished, but that CGI needs a little work. And in a film like this, where almost everything is CGI, your CGI better be immaculate. And it's not. I mean, there's there are flawed shots there. Like, it's not coming out for a couple months, so they have time to rectify that. But, you know, that that's going to carry the majority of the burden, and it's not even that visually stunning. I, I disagree. I think it does actually uh, look visually stunning, and I do think the effects look good on their own. I think the reason, like you said, that you don't think they look as good is because you have the 2016 version to compare it to. Well, yeah, but... I mean, that's but that's if that film had never come thinking. out like on its own, I think we'd be having a much different conversation about this. I don't know. There's still some shots, like uh, herd of monkeys and stuff. I'm like, ooh, that CGI is a little rough. So, I think just on its, I'm very critical of CGI. Obviously, did, did you also hear about how like the internet was uh, talking about Shere Khan because he's voiced by Benedict Cumberbatch as Smog Khan? Oh my God! No, I hadn't heard that. <laughs> Because the, the voice sounds exactly like Smog. Oh, there you are. It's a really good cast, too, you know? Yeah, that's what's got me at least feeling like... Again, they should have just made something else, man. Like, I... I this They're going to lose a lot of money. It's going to harm Andy Serkis' career as a director. He's going to have to go back in the doghouse and go back to wearing a suit for a bit. Because the, this is going to end up badly for everyone. Warner Brothers is going to be like, this is what happens when we try to do properties that aren't DC or Lego. 
in the world of Harry Potter, and they're gonna decide that. Somehow well, that's this- that's a cop out answer because they should be smart enough to know. They should be honestly smart enough to know that the reason that this has the potential to not do well is because of the close proximity of the release of the other film. Has like- Warner Brothers done anything in the last five years that has made you think they are smart? Mad Max Fury Road. They are probably my least favorite studio in the business right now, and as far as I can see, in the quality train. They've been on a 747 that's slowly losing gas and uh, trying to make sure you look at the pretty sunrise in the distance instead of the ground that's looming closer and closer and closer to the cockpit window every second. That's very descriptive of you. (laughs) So I I honestly, I think Warner Brothers is like, oh, we're going to do great. I, I don't think they've even strongly considered the implications here. Okay, well, that's fair. In any event, then, uh, those that, that pretty much does it for trailers for this week. Okay, uh, I do have some news this week. Oh, yeah, yeah, please. Okay, so Charlize Theron is going to play Megan Kelly in a Roger Ailes Fox News harassment movie. Oh, that sounds great. <laughs> oh, man. Cannot think of better casting. No, not at all. That also sounds like it could be an awards vehicle. Well, and it's uh, Charles Randolph, who just won an Oscar for writing The Big Short, is writing the screenplay, and Jay Roach, who's best known for lots of Emmy-winning or Emmy-nominated HBO films, is directing. He also directed Brian Cranston to his first Oscar nomination in Trumbo a couple years ago. So, yeah, I think this is... We're already looking, presumably, at one of 2019's big Oscar contenders, unless they can somehow crank it out by the end of the year and get it in time for a Christmas release and shake up the race. Because in all honesty, if they could do that, I would probably start predicting that to be our best picture frontrunner. Wow. Yeah, that would be that would be very, very interesting. Because A, everybody hates Fox News, and B, it's Me Too timely. I mean, it's, it's pretty perfect on that front. Checks off a lot of boxes. Idris Elba is going to be starring in and directing a Hunchback of Notre Dame film. Um, you know, Disney's doing lots of live-action remakes. I think this is another Jungle Book situation where that's a public domain book, and they're like, why not do a new take on it? And, you know, unlike the Jungle Book, I think when they say this will be a darker take, that'll mean something. Because have you ever read the book? Uh, No. Oh my god, it's so dark. So, uh, you guys have all seen the classic Hunchback of Notre Dame film, right? The, have you seen, you've of course seen the Disney one, you know, and that's what most people have seen, because most people aren't literate enough to have read the source material. But, um, the book ends much more darkly. Pretty much everybody's dead. So, uh, I'd be fascinated to see what tact they take with that. So, and he's gonna star in that, I guess that means he's gonna slather himself up in Hunchback makeup, so maybe that's a maybe a acting Oscar contender, you know, Elba needs a nomination, but... Or at least just, you know, makeup. Yeah. So Disney has looked at the fact that Solo got kind of mixed reviews and isn't going to make anywhere near as money as they expected, probably about $115 million this weekend, which is pretty bad for a Star Wars film. Um, and they said, you know what we need? We need more Star Wars spinoffs. So... We are going to be getting a Boba Fett spinoff. You know, they talked about one years ago with Josh Trank directing it, and then the Fantastic Four happened, and yeah. So that project is back with James Mangold, who was just nominated for an Oscar for Logan last year directing. A bit odd, worth noting, this marks the sixth project that James Mangold has, got, has been signed on to direct in the last 12 months. 
Note also that just outside of that 12-month window, he signed on to direct 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea for Disney. I, 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 I don't know how I feel about this. I'm sorry. I, like The only thing that's got me excited is the fact that it's James Mangold. But after Solo right now, I don't want to see any more Star Wars movies for at least a year. Like, I mean, and, and that's probably, you know, true because um, episode nine will be coming out next year. But beyond that, I, I just, I need a break. Like, I'm, I'm tapped out right now on Star Wars. And I knew this was going to happen, but they're killing the magic. It's been six months between Star Wars films. You know, at, at this rate, it's... It's like getting a Marvel movie. It used to be an event when a Star Wars film came out. And it's like, you know, and, and particularly when they're good, not great like this. It's just, this is how you water down and ruin a brand. Now, I do think there's some interesting directions they could take a solo film in. That's not a character we know that much about. Uh, particularly, or not solo, uh, Boba Fett. Particularly if we just kind of ignore the Attack of the Clones prequel aspect. Sure. But... You know, so I mean, it could go off in its own direction, but I'm sure, like, it's not like Disney is going to let Mangled make an R rated Boba Fett. So it's, you know, they're, they're probably not going to let them get as gritty and morally ambiguous as they could. Um, I just want to ask which of the six James Mangled projects are you most excited about? For a refresher, there is a children's movie called Crenshaw about a man who, a boy who befriends a giant cat. There is a remake of the French action movie Disorder, written by Taylor Sheridan. We have a movie about Henry Ford versus Ferrari, which apparently the book it's based on is awesome. I guess he was signed on to direct the Patty Hearst one with Elle Fanning, but I believe that has since been cancelled because the Hearst family was like, this is, this is incredibly offensive. Uh, in addition, we also have uh, Don's, Don Winslow's The Force. This is the guy who wrote Savages a few years ago. This is his new cop movie, which people are really excited about. Um, and yeah, I guess those are all the mangled films. There's also 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. So which are you most intrigued by? Can I just say none? <laughs> yeah, it's he's, he's one of those people... I feel like he reminds me a lot as a director of, um, my mind's going blank, Blood Diamond, Glory, what's his name? Edward Zwick. Edward Zwick, yeah. Uh, he reminds me of Edward Zwick, where he's, he's a director that makes some really strong projects, but never seems to hit greatness. Um, he said he was shocked that Logan was his first film to get him an Oscar nomination, and I can understand why, because it's... You know, he's done, like, Walk the Line and all these other, like, really baity-sounding projects, and then it's a comic book movie that does it. But I think that's it. He chooses some really solid projects, but they're always just shy of greatness, and I think it's going to continue with all of these. Except for Logan. You know, Logan was, Logan was great, so... Little other bit of news. Liam Neeson. I'm so glad that he's gone back to making serious films and not action fit. Oh, wait, he just joined Men in Black. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I guess he's our new Tommy Lee Jones. He'll join Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson, the Thor team, you know, in a new Men in Black movie. That I gotta say, that's a sequel I don't care about at all. I really liked the first one, and the second and third were okay. I just, we don't need to revisit that. That's, that's fine as is. Why don't you give us an original comedy with 
I mean, Josh Brolin up. made the third one pretty damn watchable due to his spot on interpretation of Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. Oh my god, it was amazing. Okay. Okay, this is a fun one. So Warner Brothers clearly can't get enough of George R. Martin. Matt, did you see they are adapting George R. Martin's The Ice Dragon children's book into a feature film? Is this going to result in The Winds of Winter coming out anytime soon? <laughs> if uh, not, then the, I don't care. I don't care. Did you care. see the Onion headline where it's like George R. Martin promises fans he has almost started writing The Winds of Winter? <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> oh god. No, I mean like it seems like he's trolling us at this point. He's clearly enjoying being in Hollywood and making all these deals. You know, he's producing like three or four different HBO shows that aren't even Game of Thrones ones. I don't care. I just want <laughs> I know that and none of those book. things are finishing his book. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And then let's see. Oh, and Michelle Williams is starring in and producing you know, I could swear we reported on this back in, like, August. A, a film about a woman who, in, back in the 60s and 50s, performed underground abortions called This Is Jane. Um, I could swear that we already knew this, but apparently that's breaking news. So, but that, you know, if she doesn't get an Oscar sooner or later... It is pretty weird. She was definitely on track to get one, it seems like... Um, for a couple of years there in the early 2010s and then just kind of fell off the face of the earth. I think that'll definitely put her back in the Oscar race, though. It's very timely. And uh, that is about it for big news this week, other than some of the notable stuff we talked about, like scandals and Jake Gyllenhaal playing a... Oh, you mentioned this earlier, but I do want to say that's going to be the most meta superhero ever. Quentin Beck is a struggling filmmaker who got burned by Hollywood and just gets enraged and decides to become a superhero. That's who Jake Gyllenhaal is going to play in the next Spider-Man film, and that's so meta and funny. It's amazing that that's not a Deadpool character. I know. Like, that's... I mean, and honestly, I think once... If Disney does get the rights to Deadpool, which it looks like they will, um, I I wouldn't be surprised if that is referenced at some point. Interesting. All right. Is that it for this week? That's it. All righty. Sounds good. Do you have anything else you want to uh, just mention before we go, or...? No, I think we're good. Alrighty then. You can find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 92 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher TuneIn, Player FM, and also on CastBox. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think of the show. Let us know how we can improve. We really uh, appreciate your feedback and support. And speaking of support, if you want to throw us, like we were saying earlier, $1 minimum a month on Patreon, you get some exclusive podcast reviews and other content, which we are getting ready to release to you all very, very soon. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you all next time. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, 
We've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis. Punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz. And up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music. And I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday.